Today, Pastor Trent Griffith will examine the parable of the Good Samaritan through the lens of the gospel. Do you know what the story is telling us? We're all universally broken. Some of us are beaten up and robbed by law breaking. Some of us are beaten up and robbed by law keeping. But either way, we've been wounded and we're broken and we're half dead. The story is we need someone to show us compassion. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So have you ever been so familiar with the story that you're kind of stuck in a rut on how you think about it? And it's not until someone else points out a different way to view it that it comes to life in a whole new way. You ever find yourself there? Well, I remember a while back, right here on Resonate, when Pastor Trent taught about David and Goliath. It was eye-opening to realize that David was a picture of Jesus, our champion. Pastor Trent said, it's important to know where to insert yourself in the story. It's not so much, I'm David, needing the help of God to slay the giants in my life, as much as it is, I need a champion to rescue me from the enemy that I can't defeat on my own. You know, when I realized this for the first time, I suddenly saw that Sunday school lesson in a whole new light. And today, I hope that's what happens for us. As you and I listen to Pastor Trent teach on the parable of the Good Samaritan, Let's not tune out just because we think we've heard it all before, just like David and Goliath. Let's listen for the gospel truth that brings the story to life in new ways for us. Here's Pastor Trent, continuing in the series, Who Does Jesus Say I Am? Let's get our Bibles open to Luke chapter 10. As you're doing that, I want to ask you a question. How many of you live in a neighborhood? Raise your hand if you live in a neighborhood. Okay, keep your hand in your in the air if you like your neighbors. If you have good neighbors, okay, good. Some of you lowered your hands. I'm sorry if you'd like to move into one of the neighborhoods of one of the people that have their hands in the air, that would be advisable. Now, uh, you've heard me tell you before that I have a degree in technology. How many of you knew that? Okay, I grew up in Oklahoma. I have a degree in the degree is from 1989. I have a degree in 1980s technology. If you have a Tandy computer laying around, you're a little worked on it, I'm your guy, okay? Now, the reason I have a technology degree, I've never told you this, okay? So across the street from where I grew up lived the dean of the technology department of the local university. And he was a very good neighbor. And he had a few scholarships that he could hand out to anybody that he liked. And he didn't like me, but he liked my dad. And he had he felt sorry for me. So he handed me one of these technology degrees. And I, I felt like, okay, that's an answer to um, prayer. It's because I didn't have any money and we nobody in my family had ever gone to college before. So I, that's why I have a 1980s technology degree. He was a really good neighbor. State Farm has a slogan. What is it? Like a good neighbor. Mr. Rogers has a song. Who? It's a beautiful... There's a debate. Some of you are quoting Taylor Swift lyrics right now. You're totally confused. Okay. Won't you be my... 
there you go. Now, let me tell you a phenomenon that was happening in my neighborhood yesterday, okay? So there were these two dogs that were running around in my neighborhood on the loose, and they were big dogs. And these dogs were making deposits in the yards of all the neighbors. And a little bit after that, I saw a man in our neighborhood I'd never seen before, and he was marching through the streets. He had big gloves on, and he had a shovel in his hand, and he had an angry look on his face. He was searching for said dogs. And I stopped him. I said, are you looking for the dogs? I thought they might have been his. He said, yes. I'm going to find the owner and I'm going to hand him the shovel and he's coming back to my yard, okay? Now that was an angry neighbor. I hope that, I don't, you probably don't want to live in my neighborhood anymore. But uh, anyway, what we're going to learn today is the answer to the question, who does Jesus say I am? And one of the things he says I am is a neighbor. And we're going to see one of the most familiar stories in the scripture. And we're going to have to be careful how we interpret it because Honestly, it's been interpreted in a lot of different crazy ways through the years, so we have to be careful not to moralize it. We want to see it through a gospel-centered lens, okay? So are you ready for this? That story takes place in a conversation that Jesus was having with a lawyer. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, do you have the picture of this? First of all, it's a lawyer. Now, this is not a lawyer like we think about a prosecuting lawyer or a defense attorney. This is not an expert in the laws of man. This is an expert in the laws of God. This was a theologian. He was a religious Bible fathead. He knew the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, really, really well. And this lawyer, notice, stood up to Jesus. Just a little friendly advice to you. If you ever feel like you need to stand up to Jesus, I would advise you to remain seated. Because when he puts you in your place, you will have a less distance to fall from if you'll just remain seated. And Jesus is about to put this guy in his place, but the lawyer is about to put Jesus to the test. Now, if you ever were a student in school and had a good teacher, good teachers give tests to their students, but good teachers actually want the students to pass the test. This guy did not want Jesus to pass the test, and he gives him the one question on the test. Here it is in verse 25, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. Do you see that question? That's the best question ever. Everybody in this room, I hope at some point has wrestled with the answer to that question. Have you ever in a quiet moment in the seriousness of your mind contemplated how you inherit eternal life? Notice it's an inheritance that implies there is a father who gives a gift to a child. And this lawyer apparently has figured out God is a father. I want to make sure that I receive the inheritance as his child. And the gift is eternal life. This guy was grappling with eternity. 
He had a consciousness that he would live forever. You know, that's the first step in actually receiving salvation from Jesus, is you have to grapple with that you are an eternal being of the Creator. Have you ever slowed down long enough just to think about the fact that you have an eternal future, either eternal life in the presence of God, your father, or separated from God eternally in hell. I remember the first time I ever had a consciousness of eternity. I really have a literal, it's one of my first memories. I was five years old. I was sitting in a tree of my neighbor across the street in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I remember for the first time thinking about God, thinking about forever, thinking about heaven and hell. Now, it wasn't the moment of my salvation, but God graciously kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there is an eternal destiny for my soul. I trust that even today you are grappling with the eternal destiny of your soul like this lawyer did. And we've got to find the answer to this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the default way that the human mind works is to think there is actually something I can do to impress God enough that he would give me something as wonderful and beautiful as eternal life. And yet Jesus knows there is nothing that you can do to merit eternal life. So Jesus in the conversation answers his question with a question to deconstruct his self-righteous understanding of who he thinks he is. And so Jesus answers the question with the question in verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? I mean, you're, a, you're an expert in the law, right? You've read the law. What have you read in the law? And then he asks a really great question. How do you read it? You know, the implication is this. You can read the Bible incorrectly. How do you read it? Do you read it correctly or do you read it incorrectly? So the guy gives the answer in verse 27. He answered, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So this expert in the law summarizes the first five books of the Bible into two simple commands. And most of you know what these are, right? One is vertical, one is horizontal. How do you read it, Jesus says. And he said, I read it like this. Love God, love people. Simple. How did Jesus respond in verse 28? He said to him, you have answered correctly. Congratulations. You understood. You can boil all the Ten Commandments, all of the other commandments that we read down to these two simple commandments. Love God, love people. And Jesus says this. This is hilarious. Do this and you will live. All you have to do to inherit eternal life is love God and love people. That's it. Here's the first point of the message here this morning. My inner lawyer must see the love that Jesus requires. 
Did you know that deep down on the heart of every person here today, there is an inner lawyer that is arguing for how good you are? And right now in your heart, that inner lawyer is trying to argue that you can actually love God enough and love people enough to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus says all you have to do to inherit eternal life is love God and love people. But notice how you have to love God and love people. Because the guy gives the right answer. He says you have to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then cherry on top, just love everybody else as much as you love yourself. Do this and you will live. Now, let me ask you a question. If this week, let me just put it this way. If you ever, at any time in your life, have ever loved God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind, and loved your neighbor as much as you love yourself, would you please raise your hand if you've accomplished that? I don't see any hands. I don't. And matter of fact, does anybody know anyone who's ever done that? Nobody ever at any time has ever loved the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all of your heart and loved your neighbor as much as you loved yourself. And said, so Jesus says, just, just do that. That's all you have to do. That's the basic minimum requirement. That's the irreducible minimum for e inheriting eternal life is just to fully and completely, eternally and always love God and love people. In other words, you're going to need a substitute law keeper. You're going to need a substitute lover of God and people if you're going to inherit eternal life. Jesus is trying to deconstruct this guy's inner lawyer that's arguing for how good of a lover he actually is. Do you get what he's saying is? Here's the test. Do you adore God with your whole heart? Do you enjoy God with a soul-consuming love? Do you always and forever believe God with a mind-altering love? And do you serve God with a calorie-burning love? That's loving God with all of your strength. I mean, this is muscle. This is sweat. This is movement. Do you do that? And then when you get all those vertical things right, there's one horizontal thing. Uh, represent God with a self-denying love. Again, nobody has ever done that, which means... The law has never qualified anyone to inherit eternal life. And yet this lawyer begins to argue for how good he is. Notice his response to Jesus' statement here in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said, And who is my neighbor? He tries to get Jesus to lower the bar. Certainly Jesus doesn't mean that I've got to love all of the loveless, unlovable people that I know. Maybe Jesus just expects me to love my lovable neighbors. 
Can I get him to drop the bar a little bit? And notice why he was doing this. He was trying to justify himself. He was trying to argue his case. I, no, I'm good enough. I love enough. I love God enough. I love people enough. Jesus has to deconstruct that. So what he does is tells a story. He tells one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You probably know the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you think you could stumble your way through telling the story of the Good Samaritan? You, you have some basic knowledge. You've been to, you don't raise your hand around here because you know I might call on you. I know what, you're just like, I don't trust that guy. Yeah, you're smart. Understand that we've got to make sure we don't butcher the most familiar story that we know in the Bible because we, we, we understand it's now in a Context. Jesus told this in response to a guy who's trying to justify himself. So understand this. Jesus does not tell the story of the Good Samaritan in order to try to motivate this guy to be good. The point of the story is not be gooder and try harder. I told you I didn't, I didn't get a degree in grammar. It's technology. So it's not be gooder and try harder. And yet that is the default setting of the human heart. We think to inherit eternal life, I have to do good and try hard. And Jesus is actually using this story to prove to him he's not a good neighbor. He's not a good law keeper. He doesn't love God enough. He doesn't love people enough. And that's the truth for every one of us. The only person we've ever loved with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength is who? Ourselves. That's our problem. And so Jesus tells the story to lean into that so this guy will stop justifying himself. Here's the second point. My sinful heart must receive the love that Jesus offers. And so Jesus tells this very familiar story. Now, when you hear the story of the Good Samaritan, we want to insert ourselves in the, as, the, as the Good Samaritan. And we do this all the time. The story of the Good Samaritan has leaked out in, of the church into culture. Uh, somebody told me this morning that uh, the life flight helicopter at uh, Parkland Hospital in, uh, in Fort Wayne is actually called the Samaritan. The Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, is a metaphor that we use in, in our English understanding of the Bible or, or just of culture for somebody that does good things for broken, difficult people. They go out of their way to meet a need. They might give some money. They might fix a meal, they might mow a grass, help an old lady across the street. Now, listen, you can do all of that and be a Boy Scout. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you're going to inherit eternal life. So we have to make sure we understand the point of the story. Don't insert yourself too quickly as the good Samaritan. Here's the story as Jesus told it, beginning here in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let me just explain the picture because as soon as Jesus said that, this guy literally can see in his mind's eye the, the road, the long and winding road that leaves Jerusalem and goes to Jericho. I've actually been on that road. And uh, this is what you have to know about it. 
The elevation of Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet above sea level. Jericho is 17 miles away. It is 1,000 feet below sea level. It's the lowest spot on earth. And so this road, a 17-mile journey, goes 4,000 feet in descent. And it is a valley. It's a winding road. And there, there, there are caverns and there are caves on each side. It made it very dangerous because thieves and robbers would hang out there waiting for an unsuspecting passerby to come by. They would beat him up and they would rob him. And so Jesus goes on to tell that's exactly what happened. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So you have a priest and a Levite. Now, the priest and the Levite ministered in the temple in Jerusalem. Apparently, they had just been there. They'd been to the worship service. The priest and the Levite were kind of the worship leaders there, and, and they led people into the presence of God. They'd just been in the presence of God with the people of God. I mean, that, they just felt so comfortable there in Jerusalem, in the temple, with God's people, in God's presence. They leave that place and for some reason are going down to Jericho. They come across this guy who's been beaten, wounded, stripped, and is half dead. And they make the conscious decision to go around him. They don't stop. They don't lean into his need. They don't have compassion. We could say, well, why would they do that? There's a lot of reasons we could speculate. Maybe it's dangerous. They don't want to get beaten and robbed. Maybe the, guy, the same guy that beat this guy up or is around the corner. Some people have speculated, well, priests and Levites, they were not supposed to be around dead things, and so this guy was half dead, and so they didn't want to be unclean, and so they couldn't stop. There's a lot of different reasons, but at the heart, what Jesus is trying to say to this lawyer is this. The two guys that knew the law the best would have been the priest and the Levite. And yet the law did nothing to motivate them to show compassion for a guy in need. And that's what the law does. The law does nothing to help you fulfill it. The only thing the law does, the purpose of the law, is not to give you a list of do's and don'ts to qualify you for eternal life. The purpose of the law was given to you to show you you can't do what the law commands you to do to inherit eternal life. And the priest and the Levite were not motivated. Their heart wasn't changed. They had heartless religion. They had no compassion for this guy. Do you know what the story is telling us? All of us are like the priest and the Levite. We're like this inner lawyer that wants to argue for how good we are. But if you could ever actually see how many people you pass by and how heartless we are, it would prove to us we haven't met the standard of God's law and we cannot inherit eternal life because we have not shown compassion for people nor have we had passion for God. We're all broken. We need new hearts. Don't insert yourself as the good Samaritan. 
insert yourself as the priest and the Levite, a heartless person that hasn't shown compassion. So how does Jesus change that? Secondly, insert yourself as the guy that is beaten and wounded and robbed, left in the ditch, half dead. Don't you understand? That's what sin does to me. Sin robs me of righteousness. And when other people sin against me, it robs me of my ability to trust people that speak for God, like the priest and the Levite. There's, there's kind of two different people in this room right now. Some of you right now are identifying with the priest and the Levite. And you're like, yeah, man, I'm kind of like that. I've, I've kind of, I know a lot about the law. I know a lot about the Bible. But man, I don't know if I really enter in and engage. I don't know if I have compassion for wounded people. There are other people in the room right now. And you are identifying as the wounded and broken guy who's robbed, left in a ditch, half dead. The, the story of your life is kind of ugly. I mean, you, you've got stories about how you've been abused and mistreated and wronged and slandered and gossiped against. And a lot of those people that did that to you are self-righteous religious people. And you as a wounded person are sitting there going, that's right, preacher, you tell those religious people they need to have compassion on people like me who are wounded. And do you know what you're doing right now? You are making the same mistake that the self-righteous religious people are doing. You are alienating yourself from the religious people the same way that the religious people alienate themselves from you. The story is this. We're all universally broken. Some of us are beaten up and robbed by law-breaking. Some of us are beaten up and robbed by law-keeping. But either way, we've been wounded and we're broken and we're half dead. The story is we need someone to show us compassion. And that someone is the one that's introduced in the next verse. Look at verse 33. Here's another character in the story. But a Samaritan. Let's talk about a Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? I mean, what is that? That's actually a race of people. This race of people was a mixed breed people, half Jew, half Gentile. This race of people was created when the enemies of Israel, the Assyrians, invaded the northern kingdom. These armies came in, they set up shop in the promised land reserved for God's people. They intermarried with Jewish girls and from that came this line of people that were called the Samaritans that kind of inhabited the northern part of Israel there. The Jews who were purebred descendants of Abraham hated the Samaritans, this mixed breed of people. And there was tension and conflict and they avoided one another like the plague. Jesus introduces the next character in the story, a Samaritan. We've been listening to a refreshing take on the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's Trent Griffith from Gospel City Church, and we'll hear part two of this message next week right here on Resonate. Well, whether you feel more beaten up and robbed by law-breaking or by the attempt at law-keeping, the healing is going to come through the gospel of Jesus. And if you'd like to know more about that gospel and experience that healing, pick up a copy of the Bible and start reading the New Testament.
And as you do, ask God to show you where you fit in the overall picture. Well, in addition to reading the New Testament, you also need to attend a solid, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. And there are a lot of good churches in the Michigan area. One of those options is Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. For more information about gathering times and locations, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And why not follow us on Facebook for more great content? You can do so when you search for Gospel City Church. Well, next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent shows us how loving our neighbor can mean showing compassion to the marginalized in society. I hope you'll join us for part two of this message next week on Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church, mygospelcity.org.